Welcome to Healing Wisdom, a Thursday morning talk show featuring guests sharing their stories and knowledge. We discuss the healing aspects of the arts, metaphysics, social justice, and adventure through all types of terrain. So join me, Pandora Peoples, here on WOMR 92.1 FM in Provincetown and WFMR 91.3 FM in Orleans. We're streaming worldwide at WOMR.org. Hello out there. I'm here today with the British American Acid Blues Band Bees Deluxe. They are going to be at Black Eyed Sally Saturday, September 23rd in Hartford, Connecticut. See note Friday, October 13th in Hull. And in November, they're going to be in New York City, Pennsylvania. They've got three concerts there and they're going to be in Boston as well. Members Carol Band and Conrad War are here today. Carol has graced the stages of many Boston area clubs including Johnny D's, Riles, The Lily Pad, and The House of Blues. Conrad War has toured with the English Beat, Joe Jackson, The Specials, and The Selector. He's been a record company production manager, music journalist, He's a man of many hats. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we go from Maine to Miami. <laughs> Maine to Miami. Can you talk about how you came together? I found Carol playing at Ryle's Jazz Club in Cambridge, which we used to play at. And she was playing the grand piano with a jazz band. And I said, let me take you away from all of this. So I, I dragged her into Acid Blues, which I'm not sure if she enjoys more, but she's very, very good at it. You ever heard of acid blues? He said, let me take you away from all of this. And so I went. The other two members of our band we have found in various places. We got Paul because he was playing kind of uh, punk rock, country, western, or all sorts of stuff. But he brings all sorts of different influences to the band. And you, know, Jim was kind of a bro country guy. So here we are. So how do you guys gel? What's the spirit of the group? Who was the musician that said, it's not what you play, it's who you play with? That seems to be our our sort of watchword as well, that it's more important to like the people that you play with because you hang around, there's a lot of downtime in this business. Yeah, we spend more time on the road than we do playing. And the other interesting thing about us, I think, is that we're too busy to practice. So every time we play somewhere, we're essentially practicing new material and reworking old material and we'll call a tune that maybe one of us hasn't heard. So we'll reinterpret it because we don't really know it and then it turns into something new.
about your memorable show at a theater in Munich? So this is before I played with Carol. I was touring in Europe and we were playing a large theater that we were told was haunted. And it had a high stage with an orchestra pit and sold out. Lots of people dancing, lots of young, young German kids and teenagers and grown-ups. And I'm singing center stage with two monitors right in front of me. They're wedges. They're speakers that point at you so you can hear the band and you can hear what you're singing. And sitting in between the two of them was a young man with his back to me, with his feet dangling over the stage. And my first impulse was to kick him off the stage into the orchestra pit. And he would look up at me occasionally and smile. And I thought, okay, I'm going to resist the temptation to kick him. I don't know why, but something in the back of my mind was telling me, don't do it. And this is while I'm playing and singing and talking to the audience. So we play a blinding set. We play for an hour, 90 minutes. We do an encore. We leave the stage. The kid's still sitting there. I go to the green room. We open a beer. That young man comes into the green room for an autograph, and he's on crutches. His friends had put him up there to keep him safe. And I hadn't seen the crutches. I'd just seen his back. So something in the back of my head said, don't mess with this. There's some reason that that boy is sitting there. So I felt very lucky. <laughs> oh, well, that's good that you were saved by either instinct or a force outside of yourself. <laughs> yeah, something was telling me not to do it. You're listening to Healing Wisdom on WOMR. We're speaking with Bees Deluxe. Black Eyed Sally's, you're going to be there Saturday, September 23rd in Hartford, Connecticut. Can you talk about writing music? You, you play originals and you also uh, do a lot of standard blues covers, yes? Uh, we do standard blues covers, but if, if people can recognize the standard blues, we're not doing our job. So we try to morph it a little bit and bring some creativity to it so they don't necessarily recognize the song our audiences they'll say oh can you play something by Etta James we'll say oh we just did we try not to play the blues songs that every blues band plays so we'll find an old record by Bobby Blue Bland and play the flip side of it we'll play a song that isn't in everybody's repertoire and even then we'll torture it and if it's in a minor key, we might play it in a major key. And if it's in dotted tempo, we might play it in straight time. And if it's got a bridge, we might not play the bridge. We might play a bridge from, from Little Feet. So, so we, we turn, it's a piece of clay in our hands at that point. And as far as writing is concerned, uh, I guess like every other writer, you, you can work with words or music. You've got to work with one of them first. They can't both come exactly at the same time. So I got a stack of papers with notes scribbled on them that I wrote working up at three in the morning as of, of lyrics. And then I've got a bunch of clips on my iPhone of me playing tunes or chords or grooves or something on the guitar. And then sooner or later, those two things collide and you get something out of a piece from one and a piece from the other. And Carol, what about your songs? I'm a writer and so I'm more lyrically driven, I think, and... Conrad's more um, guitar musically driven. So I usually start with a phrase or something like that and, and then build the song around that. But showers are wonderfully inspirational. I, I do my best thinking in the shower and as soon as the water goes off, it's, it's gone. So all those masterpieces that have gone down the drain. I used to know a man in Sussex, south of London, whose job it was to write crosswords for the London Times. And he could only write them in his head while he was on a bicycle. 
So he would go for long bicycle rides. And by the time he got home, he could write the whole crossword out. One winter, we had six foot of snow in Sussex. He couldn't get out on his bicycle. So he took all the furniture out of his dining room and bicycled in circles for two hours until he had composed the next crossword. You know, it's it's like swimming or running, something that you you don't think about all the external stuff that's going on and you can just focus. I do my best writing when I'm swimming because my mind is just focused on that. Tell us about being on the road. Well, when when we travel as a band, we, we're pretty cheap. We you know we <laughs> we live on a shoestring, so we eat donuts and, and cold pizza, and we drive and we look for cheap gas, and we don't want to spend money on hotels. So we call people that we know in the area and say, "Can we crash on your couch?" And sometimes those people in the area are people we haven't heard from or talked to in 20 years, and. It turns out that they're really, mostly, they're really glad to hear from you, and and it's been a great way for me for to reconnect with friends and and acquaintances that I haven't seen in in years. And now, not only do they come to the shows in the area, but but we've managed to stay in contact beyond just crashing on couches. That's very cool. We call it couch surfing, and, yes. and everybody knows somebody somewhere. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so then strangers are involved sometimes. Yep. Yes. Um, we did a, a we did a tour for uh, a fundraising tour. It was for for a good cause, and um, and we st- we played in venues all over in Pennsylvania and Ohio and New York State, and the hosts, the people who were in the venue, would call up people and say can this band stay with you tonight on your couch? And they were total strangers. And we would just show up at their house and they would make fried chicken and food for us. And they'd put us up in their beds and they were, you could see the relief on their face when it was like us who came and we weren't like, you know, some some Black Sabbath horrible, you know, band, but they were like, oh, thank goodness it's old people. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, but we made lots of new friends and it's, it's kind of cosmic that people are, and I think it's music that makes people connect that way. 
One night we stayed in Pittsburgh at a friend of a friend of a friend's house. And we had to get up early in the morning to get to the next town. And we're driving away. And the <laughs> owner of the house who just looked after us called me up and he said, you better come back. You've left an instrument behind. So we didn't tell the bass player that he'd done this. But we drove for a mile. Then we turned around and we started going back. And he said, where are we going? I said, well, don't worry about it. Where are we going? I said, don't worry about it. We know what we're doing. And we drove back to the house we'd spent the last night. And we said, go and knock on the door. And he said, what's going on? He said, he got out of the van and went to the door, knocked on the door, and his host handed him his bass guitar. <laughs> he was so relaxed, he'd left his instrument behind on tour. Oops. <laughs> That's good. Then you can be that relaxed among strangers. And yeah, strangers right. You like friends. That's very cool. That's very cool. All left stuff all over the place. I left all my harmonicas in a club in Harlem and got to a festival in Maryland and didn't have anything with me. So I had to just use a tissue paper and a comb. It worked out fine, but went back and there it was. Right where you left it. That's cool. We were playing in Sebastian, Florida. And the owner of the club said, oh, I'll put you up in a hotel. And she put us up in a hotel a mile down the road. And it's within sight of the sea, but it had a swimming pool. So we spent the night competing for who could do one or two lengths underwater without drowning. <laughs> I won. I float. I'm a floater. It's a good skill. <laughs> you, two, you two would survive the shipwreck. I wouldn't. You're listening to Healing Wisdom on WOMR 92.1 FM in Provincetown and WFMR 91.3 FM in Orleans. I'm Pandora. We're speaking with Bees Deluxe. So, Conrad, tell us about what happened in the ruins of the castle in Vienna. So, one day I was doing three gigs in a day in Vienna. And it... 10 in the morning, we did a sound check at a nightclub. And then at 11.30, we did a sound check in a theater. And then at 12.30, we did a sound check in a castle. And this was a castle that had no roof. It was collapsed and there were rocks everywhere, but there was a stage and we were in essentially an amphitheater. And we were playing the afternoon show there. And uh, the clouds came and it got dark and the audience was entirely comprised of Hells Angels on motorcycles. And when they liked the music, they would flicker their headlights on their motorcycles at the stage. So it was like being a moth in a field of candles. It was really nice. The other problem was the acoustics because the castle walls were about 200 feet away from us. So when you played a note, it would come back half a bar later. So we had to adjust the tempo so the echo was in the same time as what we were playing. You find that out pretty fast. That's really cool. Do you remember what kind of set you played? Do you remember what you were playing? 
that would have been like fast punk reggae. And there was a German reggae band playing after us. And I found it very strange to hear reggae being sung in German. <laughs> it really sounds like it's coming through your windpipe and not your, your diaphragm, you know. Mm, mm, interesting. Yeah, that's a, that's a kind of contrast. I'd say that you can't beat German for punk rock, though. It was, you know, <laughs> I worked in a, in a bar a venue in Harvard Square back in the 70s, a long time ago. One night, they used to get all kinds of people through their buddy Guy and George Thorogood. And um, and one night they had B.B. King and his band had packed up and they were waiting in the bus and B.B. was kind of hanging out and I was there and he said, let me buy you a drink, sweetheart. And so we sat there in this empty club together with our arms touching. and. <laughs> Um, he was just as charming as could be, and he was a lovely guy and, he, and, he, and a good tipper. So that's my B.B. King story. Um, but we, Bees Deluxe, have played in so many venues and some very unassuming venues, like where were we, Conrad, in New York, the Turning Point? The Turning um, Point. Where the owner, the Turning Point, right, where the, um, the owner, John, told us that this, this st stage, this little stage, um, had hosted 49 people from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He had... Uh, He'd had Arlo Guthrie, Chris Christopherson, Dave Mason, Poco, Bella Fleck, Bill Monroe, Joan Osborne, Christine Lavin, New Riders of the Purple Sage, Richie Havens, Janice Ian, Rick Danko, and, and John Mayle many times. And yeah. he's still going. When, when we did Soundcheck, we sat with him at the bar with John, the owner-manager, and he just flipped through his phone and there were close-up photographs of, of 500 Grammy Award winners who'd all played it in his kitchen, essentially. It's, it's like a room. There is only 70 seats there and they're all sitting down there. And I said, you booked the entire roster of the bottom line, didn't you? And he said, yes. The bottom line is only 40 minutes away when there's no traffic but they didn't mind me booking acts that they booked because they didn't think the audience was going to clash. You know, there's, there's are geographical rules about where you can play and when, but he was allowed to get away with it for some reason. Maybe because it was a small place, but when you play in, in some place where those kind of people have, have walked across the stage and played there, it's, it's kind of powerful. I, mean, I think it, it makes me play better knowing that. Um, Bill Evans played on the stage. Do you think that there's like a an energy that remains? Like, oh, you know, absolutely. It's kind of interesting the way that fireplaces work. If a fireplace hasn't been lit for a really long time, there's this sort of medieval sort of old wives tale that you have to heat it up physically that, you know, you not only clean the cobwebs, but that you're sort of preparing the fireplace. So you can't just start a fire in a cold place. There's I, this I idea about that. I think it's very possible. You know, <laughs> if, if you pick up a brand new guitar or violin off the wall, it's probably going to sound horrible. Mm -hmm. But if you play it for 10 years, it will start to find its voice. And you've got to figure the same law of physics uh, working with a room, that if a room is made out of you know wood and plaster and linoleum and, and carpet and things like that, and you play music in it every night for 10 years, the room becomes a speaker. Mm -hmm. It must physiologically change it in some ways. And then also there's the whole spirit of the place. <laughs> Powerful.
So what are your favorite or most memorable uh, experiences performing together? Well, we really liked playing Riles in Cambridge because Carol could yeah. play grand, grand piano or her organ. And it's an intimate room. There were like 60, 70 seats there, low ceiling, very nice sound guy who could do a really good job. And it was very, you could, we could talk while we were playing to the audience and to each other. So it was very much like playing en famille, you know, like playing for your closest friends, as opposed to playing uh, some rooms where you're distanced. Some rooms are, are shaped badly so that you're playing, but the people are on either side of you or far away from you. you know, yes, we did a hot air balloon festival in New Hampshire, and the people were, they were 120 feet away from us. Yeah. So you have to sort of pretend they're closer to you and play to them. But it, it's much nicer when, when you can see somebody in front of you. And nice when they come specifically for the music, when it's not an incidental, like like a candy festival or something like that. When they're there for the music, when they walked in, they said, gosh, we heard about you guys. We play a place in outside of Philadelphia called Jamie's House of Music. And, and it's a little venue, but it's awfully cool. And there's a big Hammond B3 organ on the stage and a wild bass setup. And, and the guy who runs it is, is a fantastic musician himself. And they do a great job and people are there because they love music and they know music and they come in to hear it there. So that's, that's and a the great last place. time we played there, Jamie came up to us halfway through our set and he said, could you stay the night and play tomorrow as well? And he invited yeah, us to the house. We slept at his house, had breakfast, came back to the club and then played again. You know, it's really like being, like being in the family. And that, yeah. that does make you play better. It makes, it just, reinforces the sincerity and the integrity of what you're doing as opposed to, oh, we, we played some cruise ships, which are agony, because you know they didn't come on the boat to listen to us. And it's yeah. enormously complicated getting on the boat and getting off again and setting up the PA and setting up the drums. But if you go somewhere like Jamie's House of Music or Stitch Bar and Blues in Midtown New York, people go there for the music and it's set for that and the people who run it care and love about music. And that's why they're doing it. They're not doing it to make money. They're doing it because they want to hear music. cool and it, it also makes me think about you crashing at people's houses and the spontaneity and the sort of improvisation of that and how you're really making real connections and how invigorating that is and it helps the spirit of your playing to feel that sense of community it's kind of like almost like uh you know jumping off a stage and knowing that the audience is going to catch you you know you know reading about history there were times in history where people and travelers were welcome it into homes and people would feed them 
and knowing that if you got stuck between point A and B, that you would find someone who would help you, you know, I almost feel like there's been some of that. That's a tradition, you know, and there's some of the, the spirit of that spontaneity has been lost with our convenience world because people don't want to veer away from their comfort zone and our comfort zones have changed from being more improvisational and more kind of going with the flow and like adapting more easily because of the way that people have evolved and society has evolved and now it's like people are very like focused on their comfort or what's familiar instead of some unknown variables i don't know you sound like you guys are living you're you're shielded from normalcy (laughs) normal culture a little bit Probably a little bit, but what music is about is connecting with each other as musicians on stage and with the audience. And and I think people are hungry for that these days when when all, you know, all your transactions are online or at ATMs. I think going out and hearing live music is is one of the few times when we really are being humans together. your upcoming performances. Saturday, we go back down to Hartford, Connecticut and play Black Eyed Sally's for the, only the second time. We've, we've been lusting after that gig for a couple of years now. I drove down there and went to the bartender and gave him a CD and I said, please give this to Jane, to the manager. And I got a call the next day, when can you play? And it's a fabulous room and the food is Southern cooking. So we have this slang for when we're on the road of trying not to go to chains. We're trying to go to a mom and pop place where you can get food that's actually made right in front of you, which Carol has made, both indigenous. Uh, yes. So, you know, places where you can get kale soup. <laughs> and the, the food at Black Eyed Sally's is incredible, it's Southern. And then we play the C-Note in Hull, played there once before, and it's a fabulous room. And then we do this stretch where we go down to Pennsylvania. We play in New York and in Pennsylvania, then back up to City Winery, Boston on uh, November the 18th. In the meantime, we're in the studio all the time trying to finish up an album we've been working on for all originals for about the past year. So Carol gets a call from me every week saying, can you redo the keyboards on this? Or can you write a new tune? Or can you do background vocals on this? Drive to Roslindale and stand in front of a microphone. 
So we're working on that all the time. We love what we do and we hope that we're going to continue to do this next year to play more festivals and new rooms as they open up and old rooms that we love with people that we adore. Awesome. Thank you so much, Bees Deluxe, for joining us. Y'all can find their concert schedule at beesdeluxe.com. You've been listening to Healing Wisdom at Outermost Radio. All of our shows are podcasts at WOMR.org. Also check out HealingWisdomRadioShow.com and contact me at Pandora at WOMR.org. Theme music is provided by Mazen. You can find her website at mazenmusic.com. That's M A E S Y N.